remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. The first thought that popped into my head when Pastor Rich Carr asked me if I ever considered becoming a full-time minister was, what kind of congregation would call an ex-convict to be their pastor? I was already doing some prison ministry at the time on a regular basis, and Mary and I had been leading uh, some small groups at our church. But pastoring a church seemed out of reach. When I told Mary what uh, Pastor Rich had asked me, I expected her response to be somewhat subdued. You see, we had just come off of a a summer-long RV trip where we had been traveling the country selling some children's books for homeschoolers that we had written. And it hadn't gone as well as we had expected. Uh, We would come to these homeschooling conventions, and we would set up our little booth there with our two books that we had, and we thought, these are going to sell like hotcakes because there aren't any books like them out there in the homeschooling realm. But what we didn't realize is that most of the women that were there shopping for homeschooling materials had a very limited budget. And so they were there to look for curriculum. And they would go around and they would buy all of their curriculum. And if they had a little bit of money left, they would come to us at the end of the convention and buy our books from us. And so we were selling, on average, about 50 books per convention. That was just about enough money to get us gas for the RV so that we could get to the next town that we were going to. And I doubted that after such an adventure, Mary would want to jump right into a four-year stint with me in seminary. However, Mary was very excited. She felt like the hand of the Lord was on this, and this was the direction for our family. And so fast forward four years of countless hours of study and sacrifice, and then a nine-year stint uh, at our first church at St. Ansgar's in California, and the Stroud family arrived here in Lake Stevens to serve Elam Lutheran Church. And so the answer is, this is the kind of church that would call an ex-convict to be their pastor. One of the first things I did when I began to minister is I desired to continue uh, working with prisoners. I desired, even though I was ministering full-time at a church, I wanted to go back into the prisons. And so I did that down at the Soledad Prison in California there. The Lord had impressed on me how many uh, things that I had gone through and what had brought me to the point that I was at. And he encouraged me to remember my chains. Remember what I had gone through. In fact, he reaffirmed this when we moved to our house in Monroe. Uh, The first night, we had moved all our furniture in, and we were in the room upstairs in our bedroom. has kind of a picture window that looks out on a green space. But through the trees, it was winter at the time, there were no leaves, I could see all the lights from the prison in Monroe. And again, the Lord spoke to me, remember where you came from. And so, out of a desire to continue to minister to prisoners, a book was born. You may have heard a little bit about this book. In fact, we just used it for the Young Men's Brotherhood earlier in this year. Uh, We went through the 15 chapters because it speaks about how young men can transition into adult life in a proper way. And that's mostly what guys in prison need. They need to know how to do the practical things of life. 
And so this week, I've been given permission by the deacons to speak about my book and to promote prison ministry in general. Currently, my book is, uh, ha has been sent out to dozens of prisons around the country. Uh, at the last count, I've sent out about 2,200 books for free to prisoners uh, based on the support of people like you. And this morning, I want to set before you four scriptural reasons why we should be concerned for those who are incarcerated. Paul says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. I would go on to say, remember the prisoner because it could have been you. Everyone within the sound of my voice this morning has sinned. Some of you have sinned so severely that if a police officer had been at the right place at the right time to catch you, you would have spent some time behind bars, perhaps just one night, perhaps longer than that. 16th century English reformer John Bradford witnessed a group of convicts being led off to execution. And he turned to someone and said, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. He rightly recognized that God had kept him from a life of unrestrained sin. And because of time, circumstances, and God's providence, this morning you are not in prison. You're sitting here in this place. But I want you to imagine what it's like to be incarcerated. First, upon your arrest, you realize that all the sins that you've tried to hide are now public knowledge. They're all out in the open. Suddenly, the world knows just how evil you really are. For me, this came after a high-speed chase with the Bloomington, Minnesota Police Department after I held up a local diner. I tried to drive across this apartment lawn, but it had rained the night before, and so I got stuck in the lawn there, and about five, six squad cars surrounded me, pulled me out. People are driving by, looking at me on the ground. I'm handcuffed, and I was thrown in the county jail there. And so from that point forth, for the next four years, I had countless hours in my cell to just think about all the things that I had done that led me to this place in my life. And I think that that kind of reflection is very beneficial because many times these kinds of things will create a remorse in our hearts and lead us to godly repentance. These times are times that God allows us to consider the state that we're in. It's a great gift that he gives to us. It's like the child who's acting wildly and needs a time out. They need their parents to sit them down and have them think about what they're doing and the impact that it has on those around them. One of the greatest benefits of going to prison was that my criminal behavior was halted, and I was essentially on a four-year timeout. Romans 2.4 states that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. He doesn't enjoy punishing us for our sins, according to 2 Peter 3.9, which states, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The ultimate punishment for sin is not prison. It's what the Bible calls the second death. Everyone dies physically, 
But because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can be spared that spiritual death. Everyone sitting here this morning deserves the lake of fire. But the reality is that some people who have committed hideous crimes, like murder, will avoid this destination because they have turned to Jesus in repentance and a desire for forgiveness, while others who think of themselves as righteous will spend forever in hell because they have rejected the free gift of God, the forgiveness of their sins through Christ. A while back, a friend gave me a donation and said, I want you to use this donation specifically to advertise your book on Facebook. And so I took the money and I created this little ad and I put it on Facebook and it started showing up in different people's posts. And in the three days it ran, about 7,000 people interacted with it. And the response was overwhelmingly positive. But there was one guy who posted something in my feed there and it said, just stay out of prison in the first place, it's that easy. Well, thankfully, an author friend of mine, Christopher Bunn, who has sold tens of thousands of his books online, he gave me some advice. He said, Scott, you're going to get some negative posts. Just ignore them and delete them and move on. But it got me thinking, because many people in the world don't think like John Bradford, recognizing that if the circumstances had been different, they could be right there behind bars as well. They don't realize that they are in bondage to sin just as tightly as those who are incarcerated. Paul encourages us to remember those in prison just as if we ourselves had been in there because the reality is we were imprisoned in sin, but God has set us free. Second this morning, remember the prisoner because everyone deserves a second chance. When I got out of prison, one of my greatest concerns was securing employment. I was worried that my prison record would prevent people from hiring me. I decided right from the start I was going to be upfront in every interview process. I was going to tell them the truth about where I had been, what had just happened to me. And so the first place that I applied for a job was a local grocery place called Lund's Supermarket in South Minneapolis. And so I walked in there and I got one of their uh, forms to fill out for the application for employment, and I went home and I sat filling it out, and then of course the question came, have you ever committed a felony? Have you ever been in prison? And I wrote in there, I'd like to discuss this with you in person, please. And so after a few days, they called me and the manager said, I'd like you to come in and I'd like to uh, interview you for this job. And so I dressed in kind of business-appropriate clothes and practiced what I wanted to say, and I arrived about 10 minutes early. And then he called me into the office, which ironically was also um, the place where they were monitoring, uh, monitoring people for shoplifting. <laughs> and so at the very beginning of our conversation, I told him that I had just been released from prison eight days before that. I explained my criminal history to this manager. I told him how the Lord had changed me in jail. I gave him the emails and phone numbers of all the different people that I had worked under uh, in the prison system, including the barber school there, uh, the upholstery department, and the cleaning crew that I was on before I was released. And so he just sat there taking all of this in. And then finally, when I was finished, he asked me a couple of questions. And then he said, you know, Scott, 
I think that everybody deserves a second chance. And he hired me on the spot, and I started making eight fifty an hour in the produce department, which was 10 times as much as I'd been making in prison at that point. I was so glad that I had taken that honest route, you know. Since that first job, I have never been turned down because of my criminal past. I found that most people are willing to give me a chance to prove myself. And God is the greatest example of this mindset. We know this because of the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. In this parable, Jesus talks about a son who took the inheritance that his father gave him and entirely blew it on unrighteous living. Prostitution, partying, drugs, alcohol. If there was anyone who had a reason to write off his son and not give him a second chance, it was this father. But that was not his attitude. Imagine the father's joy in this parable. And this was before texting, Skype, phone calls, or even a reliable mail service. In this verse, it almost seems like any time he's outside working, he's looking down the road. Is today the day that my son will return? And I think we know this because he sees his son a long way off. Not when he just knocks on the door. He's looking for him. He's longing for his return. He runs to him and throws his arms around him and kisses him when he sees him. This is before any kind of apology, by the way. Does this seem like an angry father to you? And yet for so many, we think of God as this angry father, looking down, scowling, mad, mad about what we've done, rather than this father who's longing for his sons and daughters to return, no matter how bad they've blown it. Just a couple of verses here to indicate his heart toward us. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Lamentations 3.57, you came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And then finally, Psalm 103.8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Many people have a hard time imagining this kind of response from God. And I think partly it's due to our own fathers. Our own fathers have acted in ways that are unrighteous. They have lashed out at us in anger. They have abandoned us many times. And even if you had a good dad, they'll tell you, probably be the first to tell you, that they blew it. They didn't do it perfectly. They sinned. I've had to go to my children time and time again and apologize for the things that I've done and the ways that I've blown it as a father. Also, we see a predominant picture in the Old Testament of God as this vengeful judge. He's getting ready to blow up everybody, you know, bring fire and, and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's destroying the earth with a flood. All of these kinds of things. He's sending his prophets to proclaim doom and gloom. But I think this is why Jesus tells this parable. He wants the people to know, this is your father's heart. 
This is your heavenly father. This is the kind of dad that he is. In fact, when a person comes to faith in Christ, the angels celebrate in heaven, right in front of the throne. Do you think they'd be celebrating in front of the throne if God was scowling down at us? Well, I guess I have to allow him in. I said I would. God is willing to grant sinners a second chance. Shouldn't we also do the same as his body? Next, remember the prisoner, because it connects you with humanity. The definition of a pariah is an individual that reject, is rejected or is an outcast from society. The world doesn't want to deal with the pariah because they are the dregs of mankind. They're cast out. Nobody wants to deal with them. That's why we build prisons, to keep people away from the public, to keep them from affecting people again. And it's good. We should be doing that because pariahs are the leeches. They're the takers in the world, focused only on themselves. And so we need to think about these pariahs that are in prison, connecting us to humanity. I was speaking at a Rotary meeting uh, about my book a while back, and at the same meeting that I was at, there was somebody from the Census Bureau, and they were encouraging you to fill out your census forms and all of this. And somebody raised their hand at the end. They said, are inmates included in the census? And she said, well, of course, yeah, they're citizens too. And it kind of surprised me because I thought, well, no, they're not going to be included. But this response shows us that we are connected to the prisoner still. They're part of the human race. They reflect the fall of mankind. And even though we would love to forget about them and focus on those that are more deserving, we must remember them. Remember that Jesus, the last person that he spoke to on the earth, was a prisoner. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This thief recognized his own need, something that the majority of the earth's population is blind to. And Jesus offered him that forgiveness and hope. You know, I found that preaching in prison is one of the most rewarding things that I've done in my ministry. These guys are excited about Jesus. They worship heartily because they know how much they've been forgiven of. They know how far they've come. In conclusion this morning, most guys in prison don't have money to buy books. Chaplains have limited budgets. And that's why many people who have given to this ministry have blessed so many. Because I don't make money off the book. I haven't made a penny off of it. Every cent that has been spent has gone right back into getting these books it's my way of thanking God for what he's done in my life and helping give back to these guys. And so I would encourage you today to buy my book, not because I'm making money off of it, not because you want to support your pastor, you're already doing that, but buy it because you get a first-hand look at the challenges that prisoners face. Read it because it'll help you pray but beyond buying the book, I would also encourage you to give financially to this prison ministry, to get these books into the hands of these guys. And I know there are many prisons out there 
that desire these books. I actually talked to the chaplain in Monroe. They came over, uh, he and his wife came over to our house for dinner. And right now during COVID, it's difficult because many prison ministries can't go in to minister to these guys, to these women. But do you know what can get in? A book. You can still send books in through Amazon or through uh, different distributors. Also, remember what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Notice it's not the other way around. You've got to put your treasure towards something, and then your heart follows the money. And so as you begin to invest in something, that's when your heart begins to think about it, be connected to it. And so as soon as you invest in these books or in prisoners, your concern for the prisoner will increase. And the last reason I want to leave with you as to why you should invest in prison ministry is because someone just like you invested in getting resource into the hands of your pastor 30 years ago. There are men and women just like me that God wants to use powerfully in his kingdom, and they just need the right nudge in the right direction. And so may God richly bless you for taking a chance on this pastor who was an ex-convict. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your hand and your grace upon us, Lord. Thank you for bringing me so far. I'm so glad that you redeemed me and have now set me on this path uh, as your servant, as your slave, and a slave to righteousness now, not a slave to my sins. Lord, touch many lives right now in the prisons. Set them free like you set me free 30 years ago. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.